The very first time I came to Ealing, the police chased me. <laughs> so I was a bit afraid of coming here tonight. <laughs> and I was just doing my job. I was at Vicar Factory in Cambridge. And you know in the holidays you try and earn some money. So I was doing a locum at Ealing Hospital. I was a gas man. Before I put people to sleep with sermons, I put them to sleep with drugs. And I never forget, I was just doing a normal kind of appendicectomy or something, and there was an urgent call came through from a place called Perivale. Were you born there? Yeah. Who was born at Perivale? Oh, quite a few of you. Well, this crash call came saying, an urgent cesarean section needs to take place now at Perivale. And they had nobody to do it. So they said, Andrew, you go. So I went and I said to the taxi driver that the hospital got for me, break the speed limit, just go. Get there quickly. And it did. We started going very fast. But before long, there were police cars chasing us. And I was still in my mask and gown and Wellington boots. And they saw me and they said, oh, so they took me to Perivale. So that was my experience before of coming to Ealing. It's very nice to be back here. And it was very interesting coming to church this evening for two reasons. One, my assistant from Baghdad is with me. And she said, please don't take us to an Anglican church. They're all boring. <laughs> because the only Anglican churches she's been with me, I've been kind of 1662, Book of Common Prayer. Boring. So I say, look, I say to all my staff, only wacky churches. So we usually, we don't spend much time at um, Anglican churches. We might be Anglicans, but we were Elim this morning in Chiswick. We go to the various New Frontiers, Pioneer, Assemblies of God, Vineyard, and sometimes to Anglican churches. But I assured her that not all Anglican churches are boring. I don't come from boring Anglican churches. I come from the HTB group. And we're not boring. We're just posh. We are very posh and not boring. <laughs> so, 
Usually when you go into the boring Anglican churches, they tell you, you've got ten minutes to preach. I can't preach in ten minutes. So I ignore them. (laughs) Tonight, do you know how long they told me I had to preach for? They didn't tell me. (laughs) So it's very good being here. And just before we start, I'll pray. I still do that. And then I'll tell you a little bit, and then I'll preach to you. Okay? Good. Lord, fill this place with your glory, with your majesty. Send your Holy Spirit. Fill us to overflowing with your love and your grace and your wisdom and your anointing, and your spirit. Thank you, Lord, that you are here. Your spirit is with us. Amen. It's very good to be here tonight. I've heard so much about you. And um, my director in England keeps whizzing off to new wine things. So I haven't seen him for a while. In fact, I've been back in the country for the longest time in the year I come back to see my boys and I haven't seen him at all. And I go back to Baghdad on Tuesday. But he's back tomorrow. Anyway... Shall I tell you a little bit about me and how I ended up in Baghdad and then I'll preach to you. Okay? Well, I have the best church in the world. If you don't believe me, come and see it. Not many people take up that offer. It's interesting that, but I hear you're pretty good as well. So I'm going to ask in a while, I'll ask Lena if this church is as good as ours. (laughs) Okay, Lena? When I was 10 years old, I remember being at school and our teacher said, now, children, what do you want to be when you grow up? And when it came to my turn, I said, I want to be an anaesthetist and a priest. And she didn't say, what a strange boy. She said, you can't be both because you're Pentecostal and they don't have priests. So anyway, I realized I had to become an Anglican. So the only rebellion of my youth was to leave the Pentecostals and become an Anglican. And I became a very high Anglican because they gave me a dress. 
and the Pentecostals never. You can imagine me going home and singing, Glory be, O Queen of Heaven. Didn't go down very well. So I went off and did my medical studies at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. And um, I was a very strange young boy. You know, at 10, you expect boys to get the Beano or Dandy. Well, I used to, on my birthday, my birthday present each year was the synopsis of anesthesia. I used to go downstairs into the basement of Boyles in, where was it, Chancross Road, and I used to look through the anaesthetic books with my father and think, oh, what one shall I get? So I did my studies at St. Thomas's, and um, then it came to the stage after qualifying of choosing what I wanted to do, but I'd known it since I was 10. I wanted to do gassing. So I signed up to be a gas man. I was quite good at that. They went to sleep a lot quicker than with sermons. <laughs> and then, one day, in between, I specialized in cardiac arrests. So, I resurrected the dead. So, I was in between cardiac arrests one day, and I went outside, and St. Thomas's Hospital is opposite Parliament, and I was opposite Big Ben saying my prayers that night according to the Book of Common Prayer. And then afterwards I said, Lord, you've given me what I've always wanted. You've got me to the hospital I've always wanted to be at. I've got the best job in the world. I'd love to be here forever. Then I said the most dangerous thing ever. What next, Lord? He said, I want you in the church. I said, no. You never go into the church unless you have to. So eventually God got me. I went off to Cambridge and did my theology, and it was really pouring. So I changed to specialize in Judaism, which was also an interest of mine. So I learned about Judaism, then I realized I needed to actually go to Jerusalem to the Hebrew University, so I went there. They were really liberal as well. So I used to slip away from the Hebrew University. I was doing a doctorate or something then. And I used to go to the ultra-Orthodox Jewish yeshiva in Meshireen, where we learned proper Judaism and we taught proper Yiddish. And one day the Rebbe of the Karlin Stolom Yeshiva, the chief rabbi, said to me, 
Andrew, I need you to go and see somebody. I said, who is it? He said, don't tell anybody. It's a woman. And he said, don't tell anybody. She's a Christian. I said, so you, my Jewish rabbi, is sending me to a Christian woman? He said, yes. He said, she comes to see me. I went to see her, as I was told to. It was really, really wacky. bit like you, actually. And we sang the wacky songs, listened to a wacky sermon from her. She was obviously the most frightening lady I've ever met in my life. And afterwards, she came to me and she prophesied over me. And she said, your life is going to be spent in the Middle East. And you are called to work for peace in the Middle East. She didn't tell me if I'd ever find it. So I said, thank you very much. (laughs) I was quite Anglican by this stage. And uh, I don't know if any of you have ever heard of her. Her name was Ruth Heflin. Anybody heard of her? She was a really wacky, charismatic lady. So, I returned to Cambridge, got revved up at Salford Cathedral, Went to work in HGB's first plant church, St. Mark's Batty Rise, and then um, stayed there, did my curacy, tried to be good. Are you good? Is he good? Sometimes. And then I went to plant a church in Clapham South, Alan Hill and then one day the bishop phoned me he said Andrew you're too young to be a canon really but I want to put you forward for the job at Coventry Cathedral I said bishop you're sending me to Coventry (laughs) he said yes I want to so I went it was quite confusing because it was the, same, the interview was the same day as my elections on ones with council. I was also a councillor. And um, I went that night and my pile was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I said, Lord, just one. I don't want both. Either Coventry or Wandsworth. I got both. So... I did my ones with bit for a little while and then went to Coventry. And when I was at Coventry Cathedral, Coventry is an awful place. (laughs) The cathedral is wonderful, but the place is terrible. Never, ever live in Coventry. It is terrible. 
So, I set a plot up to run away from Coventry <laughs> because I was the only residentiary canon who was paid not to be residentiary. I was heading the International Centre for Reconciliation. So I said, look, you've got to stop looking at the past and look at the present. It's no good just looking at why Coventry was bombed in 1940. You've got to look at the biggest problems nowadays. And the biggest problem is Islam. It's the Islamic world. I said, we need to be in Israel, Palestine, because I like it, and Iraq. So I tried all sorts of ways to get into Iraq, and I failed. And in the end, do you know what I did? I got all my staff together, and we prayed. It was the very last thing we did. We prayed about it. And... As Archbishop William Temple said, when you pray, coincidences happen. When you don't, they don't. So, the next day, I got a fax from Tariq Aziz, the Deputy Prime Minister of Iraq. This was in 1998. He said, can you come to my office next Thursday at 5 o'clock? I was in Coventry. And it was Friday, previous Friday. So I went. It was an interesting journey. That was the beginning. And before the War of 203, I used to go about five times a year. And since the war, I've been going all the time. It's been really good. And eventually I came to Leaf Commentary Cathedral. Oh, one thing I forgot to tell you was, just after I arrived in Coventry, I got ill. Two weeks later, I was taken to hospital. I was diagnosed with MS. And my son was born, my second son was born the same day that I was diagnosed. So it was quite useful, actually, because it was what I would get used to of wonderful things and awful things all mixed together. So um, Jacob was born. I got MS. I kept going. And then near the end of my time, I'd been at Coventry for seven years, and the Church of England said, you'll have to go and see the doctor before we can actually give you an next job. And I went to see the Anglican doctor, and he said, Can White, we are rather concerned that you have MS. We don't really think you can continue working for us. I said, Fine, and went to Baghdad. <laughs> no problem. Nobody there complains. And that's important to know because so often when awful things happen, we think there's a reason negatively. But 
God didn't give it negatively. He gave it positively. And a few weeks later in Baghdad, where I was living in my trailer in the green zone, a friend of mine who was the hematologist came to see me and he said, Andrew, he said, you're getting so bad, I want to make you better. I said, oh yes, so do lots of people. He said, no, I've looked it up on Google. I said, what do you want to do? He said, it says you need stem cell treatment. I said, I have major ethical objections to that. I'm not having any treatment from aborted fetus or anything. Oh, he said, no, I'm going to take the blood from you and remove the stem cells. And I said to him, have you done this before? He said, no. I said, when do you want to do it? He said, tomorrow. And he did. And it completely transformed me. And then about five months ago, the hospital took the machine and used it for um, bone marrow transplantations for leukemia patients. So I've had no treatment now for five weeks and I've been getting worse and I talked to Dr. Majid about it and he said well you'll have to get a new machine you'll have to buy it and put it in your clinic but by the way by this stage I don't just have a church I have four doctors three dentists a biology lab a laboratory a pharmacy got it all so, he wrote to me, he said, he always writes some emails, Dear Relative of God. Because whenever he wants anything doing, he comes to me. And I speak to my relative, and my relative makes it happen. Not sometimes, always. So I am a relative. I'm his son. And it's good. Anyway, um, this machine was taken and the hematologist said, well, all you've got to do is you'll have to buy a new one. And I said to him, you want me to buy a new machine? Where shall we have it? He said, at the church, at the clinic. So the Americans were about to leave, but they said, we will build you an extension. Because this was the best project we supported in life, we'll build you an extension. On Tuesday, I go back to see the extension. We will have our own stem cell clinic. Ten right. Ten. Can you hear me? Ten days ago, I found out how much a machine cost and how much I needed to raise, and it was thirty-five thousand pounds. 
on the Eucharist. And lost until sons, sorry, daughters. Oh, five months. Sorry, I haven't had my treatment five months. And it's dollars, not pounds. Is that correct? Oh, great. Thank you. So we needed that $35,000. Does that mean we've got it all now? Oh, we got it this morning. We finished off... This morning, when you come to preach at this church, the people always mess around with your head. Is that part of being wacky? Ever thought of having a microphone here? Thank you. So, according to my assistant, we have it. So that's great. Anyway, I'm preaching to you this evening from Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is the foundation of what, so much of what we believe. Verse 15. 8.15. For you did not receive the spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may share in his glory. I'm going to read you the passage of the Bible just before I speak on it, rather than a long time before. So, first of all, we are heirs. People say to me regularly, why are you a vicar in Baghdad? I think to myself, because the churches here are too boring. But I'm there because God sent me there. And people say, aren't you afraid? I have to be honest with them and say, no, I have no fear. Because perfect love casts out all fear. And I am an heir of my father, Abba, in heaven. So because I am his heir, I am, as my hematologist says, a relative of God. And he provides everything, not just for me, but for all of us. You know, I'm a fairly charismatic Anglican vicar. I never dreamt that I would be called a booner. Do you know what a booner means? 
our Father. We start the Lord's Prayer in Aramaic, Abunda Bashmaya. You'll call me Abuna, you don't, but the others do, don't they? Yeah. And that is the name that I used to be afraid of. How can you call your priest father? But when you think about being our father, Jesus, when he taught us the Lord's Prayer, he said, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do we realize the significance of that? That he is our Abba, our Abuna. Not just Jesus's, yours as well. Because you're like me, you're a relative of God. Therefore, we are brothers and sisters. If, do any of you know Hebrew? Tov ma'od, ma'shlomha, So, in God, in Israel, God is not called God. He is never referred to by his name. And I go to worship in churches sometimes, and I hear them call and sing the name of God. No, you can't do that. That name is too holy. It was a name the high priest only said once a year on the day of Yom Kippur in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. In Israel, as you'll tell us, God is called Hashem. Hashem. The name. How did Jesus refer to God? Hashem. Hallowed be the name. At the name. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess. Those of you I don't know if any of you get my updates. I know that some of you must be my friends on Facebook. I run out of friends this morning. I've had to start a new page for friends because I've got no more room. You can only have 5,000. And I've now got 5,000. And I only came here because I wrote on Facebook, I've got nowhere to go on the evening of the 7th of August. So I thought, when they offered me, 43 people offered me churches, and I looked through the list, and I thought, 
Oh, St. Paul's healing is a good one. I'll go there. So here I am. So hallowed be the name. Hashem. Abana Levi, we say in Arabic. Abuna Dabashmayu in Aramaic, as the Lord Jesus would have said himself the Lord's Prayer. At his knee, every name shall confess that he is Lord. He is the name that is above every name. And he is our Abba, our Father. You know, I must admit, I did think a lot about God being our Father in Baghdad. Because most of the people there call me Abuna. But some call me, what do you call me? Daddy. Because I've got my adopted children. And just as we are the adopted children of the Father, so are my children mine. They do fight sometimes about who can be my children. Why are they calling you daddy? They've got no right to call you daddy. You're not their daddy, you're our daddy. Okay, I say. I remember my dream. We all need dreams. We need to hope. We need to dream. My dream as a child was that I would do medicine, go to St. Thomas's Hospital and end up doing anesthetics. Two, become a priest. Three, find a good wife. Four, have very clever boys. I've got all of those things. Happened. But one thing didn't happen which was five. I wanted a daughter. And I wanted a daughter who would work for me. And a few weeks ago, I was having my afternoon siesta in Baghdad, as you do. It is quite hot there. It was 60 centigrade the other day. They had the day off work because it was too hot to work. But the following day, it was down to only 58 centigrade. (laughs) So they could go back to work. And tomorrow, who knows? They can look on the internet, okay. So I was asleep and Jesus came to me in a vision. He said, remember your dreams? Your fifth dream has come true. 
I said, I wanted a daughter who could work with me. And Jesus said to me, you've got your daughter, you have Lena. And, come on, and she speaks Arabic and Aramaic. So it's rather useful. She was finishing her exams a few weeks ago on Wednesday and she started working for me on Thursday. That means you had no holiday. I know. I'm sorry about that. Isn't she lovely? Mylena? So that was God's answer. Then a few weeks ago at church, we heard that our next door church had been raided. Our next door church, the Syrian Catholic Church, had been attacked. And they were just reading the gospel, and somebody went in and started shooting dead the people, the Christians. This was a group that we just call AQI, Al-Qaeda Iraq. And there was a little boy there called Adam. He was four, and he was walking around after the terrorists going, stop it, enough, enough. Don't kill any more people. And his parents were trying to call him back. And in the end, these people shot dead his parents. And then they shot him dead. Fifty-eight people were killed. Was that wrong? How many? I said 58. Be quiet. Stop telling me. I know how many people died. 58 were killed in that one church that afternoon. And then afterwards, they started threatening all the Christians in Iraq. This wasn't new. I've had all my church council killed. I've had my assistants all killed. I've had various people. Last year was only 93. And I really prayed it would be less this year, but it's been 127. And we went to the church and we saw the bits of flesh on the wall and the blood around the place. <coughs> and it's very easy to think that everything is awful in our place. It is so dangerous. The reason you don't get much news from Iraq anymore is because they killed all the journalists. And they're too scared to send any others out. I don't blame them. Because they may be killed as well. 
I got an email yesterday from a friend of mine called Robin Jagan, and he was our head of the political section at the British Embassy in Baghdad. He has now gone to Kabul. And he wrote to me, I'm in Kabul now. It's so much easier than being in Baghdad. In Baghdad, it's so terrible. So awful. Our people are killed all the time. And the week after this happened, I thought to myself, what am I going to preach on today? How do you preach when not only all your colleagues in the church down the road were killed, but your own people have been killed that week? My chief of security was coming to church one day to see what our security was like. His legs were blown off. His car was blown up. And God spoke to me very clearly. He said, preach from Romans 8, verse 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be be revealed to us. The present suffering is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to come. All the time I get these reports from the persecuted church organizations. Not one has ever helped us. Not one has given us one penny and we're in the most violent country towards Christians. So persecuted church organizations, they might have me on their boards. They might get me to say things. For us, they have done nothing. This is the truth. No mission agencies have ever supported us apart from one. Do you know what? Their Mother's Union. Who's a member of the Mother's Union? So am I. Literally, the only body ever to have helped us, the only mission agency in the Mother's Union is the biggest mission agency of the Anglican world, is the Mother's Union. And they stand with us. We have a big mother's union now. You know, I tried to make our church a bit Anglican because we didn't have any Anglicans. We were Syrian and Chaldean, Syrian Catholic and Orthodox. And we formed a mother's union. We've got 2,700 members in one branch in our church. There are three organizations which have supported us. One, the Mother's Union. Two, the Philo Trust, J. John. He's my best friend, it helps. Three, God TV. I'm one of their directors. So, 
three bodies have helped us. That's not to say that we haven't managed. When I took over our church, it was the cheapest church in the world to run. $600 a year. Now, every month, I need $177,000. Every month, I've had that money. Where from? churches in England often little Anglican churches and those people who I said were boring who aren't really because they give me their money so I love them that's why we go to boring churches because every week after church we have to give people food all of our people, we give them groceries for the week. And the churches in England enable us to do that more so than America. In America, I've raised very little. In England, I've raised most of it. I have no endowment. We don't know where the money is coming from. I raised them I come home every six weeks or so usually, though I go on Tuesday for two months. Usually it's every six weeks I come home for a week and I go to various churches and tell our story and the people are wonderful. They give to us and they support us. And the good thing is that my father, my relative, always makes sure we have enough. Only one week, we didn't. One month, we never. And then we got blown up that month, and our clinic was totally destroyed, and the church was, all the windows were blown out, and then all the money started coming. So if your church ever has a big building project, just tell me, and I can get my mates along. And they can visit you. We know a very effective way of fundraising. It really works. So the suffering of the present world is not worth comparing to what is to come. And people expect me to go around being miserable and unhappy. But I'm not. Because I had the happiest church I've ever had. Because we have lost everything. So Jesus is all we have left. And Jesus makes us happy. We can only sing one song in English in our church. Would you like to join in? Come on, Lena. Let's sing our one song. And the worship group, better join in. They're wacky. They are wacky. Don't push you. No, I won't push you. I won't touch your hair. I know you've been to the hairdressers. 
but I've got the joy, 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 joy down. Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got the peace that passes understanding. Where? Where? I've got the peace that passes understanding. Today, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. I've got the... Joy, the, the peace that passes understanding down there. She's saying to me, they're not wacky like this morning. I'm saying they are wacky. So let's all be wacky. I've got the joy, 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 joy down there. Well, well, I've got the joy, joy, joy. Well, down in my heart to stay, and I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Where? I've got the joy, 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 down in my heart today. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. Are they wacky enough for you? Yes. So, should we see if they know any other wacky songs? Old ones, not young, new ones. Any old Pentecostals here? In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of heavenly harmony. In my heart there rings a melody. There rings a melody of love. 
Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know, fills my every longing, keeps me singing as I go. In my heart there rings the melody, rings the melody of heavenly harmony. In my heart there rings the melody, there rings the melody of love. Not bad, sit down. She now says you are wacky. You've won the wacky. Why that's so important? Why that's so important in the midst of my talk about how we've been persecuted is that we're so happy. And it's fine just thinking, oh, it's so terrible, it's so awful, how do you cope? We cope because in our heart there rings a melody. We cope because we are so happy because our Lord is in our heart. And we do not fear and we do not fail and we will keep singing and we will keep rejoicing. And I know that on Tuesday when I get back, the little children from who live in the compound will come to me and they'll be singing. I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. And that is really true. For in this hope we were saved. Verse 24, chapter 8, verse 24. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope, for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. We are so happy. And people can't understand why we're happy. We are Anglican. We love our bishop. We go to church. We have such a large church that we can't fit everybody in. We have church on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And we say to people, only come to church once. Do they listen? No. We have about 4,000 people in our church, which is an ugly Art Deco 1936 church. And we cram everybody into the school as well. And about 500 of our people are not Christian, they're Muslim. And they come because the clinic is not just for church people, it's for everybody. And when they come, they see the love of Jesus. And Jesus didn't go around just preaching. He went around healing. 
And that's our calling, is to heal as well. And it's quite fortunate that the doctors go home at two o'clock and then their patients come to me. And I know what I'm doing. I can give them the right drugs, but if I can't, we pray for them. God does it anyway. The other day, Ahmed came to me. He came to the clinic. He said, my daughter is so ill. Can you make her better? Because they think we are the English church and the English clinic, even though all our staff are Iraqis. So we can do anything. We can't. But my relative can. So... He said to me, she is in the medical city in Baghdad, terrible hospital. So I prayed with him. I said, your daughter will be all right. He said, she is so ill. I said, just walk to the hospital. Go to hospital now and keep praying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He got to the ward. And as he got to the ward, the doctor said to him, I'm really sorry, but your daughter has just died. And I had told him she would be right. He cried and cried and cried. He went to her bed and they'd covered her with the sheet. And he took the sheet down, held her tightly, and just said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. She sat up and said, Daddy, I'm hungry. Will you give me some food? So he came back to me and told me this. So I said, don't worry, it's happened before. We've seen quite a few people raised from the dead. Never by my prayer. I've never been there. The most common people, now remember this, if you need somebody raising from the dead, get the Mother's Union. The Mother's Union pray for people. Every week they go around praying. And every week, they get healed or come alive. And so you now see why I'm happy. Because as we say at the start of every service, we say, Allahumma. Good, thank you. In Arabic, that is, the Lord is here. And the people say his spirit is with us. You want to help our church. I know you do. You can. You can buy our books. They're brilliant. One of them, Faith Under Fire, is now the number one best-selling Christian book in England. Came the number one in America before England. Have we got any of the pictures to show you or not? One of the good things about us, we get lots of angels. 
That up there is not the moon, it's an angel. We see an angel, we take pictures and they come out just like that. Strange. Sometimes when I want pictures taken for the books, they say to me, Sawyer, we can't, the angels are everywhere. So I said, look, I'm going to talk to the angels. I said, can you just give us one minute, please? I know you're all on overtime. Do you think they did? No. Next picture. There were angels all around these little girls in our compound and just comes out as these blobs. Next picture. When all the people were killed, they were taken to Nineveh to be buried. No, no, you know the place that the miserable evangelist came to? By a submarine, and it wasn't yellow. And um, most of our people, most of the Christians in our church, come from Nineveh to this day. And the person who got them to believe in, not just in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but to believe in Jesus... Do you know who it was? We call him Martoma. You call him Doubting Thomas. So we specialize in miserable, useless people. If God can use them, he can use us. That's our hope. And you can see the glory of God surrounding those funeral cars. Because... Our people who got killed had left us, but they'd gone to see the king. And soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Alleluia, alleluia, we are going to see the King. Alleluia. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon.